Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the Western Hunting Hub podcast. Got a couple new discount codes I want to make you aware of. Hunting Hub is the coupon code for working athlete for 20% off, so make sure you get over there and get some of your working athlete just for your everyday use, but also for, um, which is also wilderness athlete, um, get some, what you need for your hunts yet this fall. So get that, uh, coupon code hunting hub, put in that promo code box and, and get some savings there. And then also for the women listeners there out there, uh, we're working with Ridge Patrol. And if you're a longtime listener, you know, Dre has been a part of this podcast and, and uh, she's a good friend of mine. So uh, Ridge Patrol has given us 10% off. Go Clint 10 is the promo code for that. So you can go get some uh, women's clothing there. And I've seen the stuff, I mean, obviously not worn the stuff, but, uh, and, and I know the company and they are focused on high quality gear. So go check that out. In this episode, I'm chatting with Justin Townsend from Harvesting Nature. We kind of focused on deer season. Deer season's coming, or here for archery, coming up in November for the main rifle seasons. And wanted to just focus on a couple of recipes and things to do, uh, ideas for your deer cut. So check this out. Great episode. A lot of really good, ep- um, a lot of good recipes and different things that harvesting nature has put out they also have a podcast so make sure you pay attention to that and enjoy this one with justin all right justin thanks for jump back on the western honey Hub podcast enjoy having you had having you last time and had um have a nice little it's a podcast for me to go listen to later on because it's got some recipes i want to and things we talked about last time that that are are good stuff so i wanted to i have to go back there and listen and write some of those things down because i i I may have forgotten 
<laughs> what we talked about. So, uh, but yeah, all good, man. Are you? Uh, what What's your fall been like? What have you been doing? What's ahead? What's going on? Um, so, really, like my fall season just kind of kicked off um, on Saturday morning. So I was up uh, at the Front Range here in Colorado uh, doing a bit of elk hunting, and then it was down. Um, so Saturday, Sunday, Sunday was down towards the wet mountains uh, down south doing some elk hunting as well. Uh, got in some good sign, but no elk. It's still pretty warm here, um, yeah. unfortunately. So I haven't been able to get as into the elk as I would like. But uh, antelope rifle opener is this weekend coming up, and I'm heading down uh, down in the southeast part of the state and going to spend the weekend down there. And then in a couple weeks, I'm headed up to Wyoming for mule deer and antelope. And then – uh, November, I've got a trip planned uh, with the Backcountry Hunters and Anglers and their Armed Forces Initiative to take some veterans out. Um, and then I myself have a fourth rifle tag for elk. So I'm really kind of like all over the place. Holy smoke. That's a busy fall. <laughs> that's a lot yeah. of, that's a lot of, a lot of running around and hunts. So that's awesome. Uh, yeah, I know it's really so, sorry go ahead <laughs> i'm really kind of jealous of of a lot of guys this is the first year i haven't elk hunted in a while and it's been kind of tough <laughs> watch my my boss brought a bull in today to work that it, it was on his way back through and he shot a south dakota archery bull and it was like oh man it's just hearing the stories and everything on that just kind of was kind of sucks <laughs> i really hate not um not doing uh doing any of this so um next year i know next year i will but it's it's just uh it's hard to take a year off i think of it this way kids that play whatever sport they play in high school if you take one year off you're like "Ah, i'm gonna take one year if you only have four years in in high school and you take that one year off that kid just just about in every situation just remove the chance of a state championship if it's a you know i I think of wrestling not many kids ever take a year off never become a state champ it just it doesn't happen usually you have to have every single one of those years become a good good athlete same thing with with hunting it's like i just missed out in one year i mean i only probably got i don't know how many years of elk hunting in my life (laughs) i have no idea (laughs) I don't know. I hope a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know, but that's one that's gone, and I needed that. I needed that to learn to to be kind of figuring things out in the woods because you learn something every single year, and it's just yep. bugging me that I'm not there. And I, he, he he was explaining that he's like, oh, just wait till you draw this tag. Just wait. He was in elk every single day, and it's just a riot. And just trying to get shot opportunities. It's like, ah, oh, I can't wait. But South Dakota, it's. 17 years on average to draw this tag so it's a oh man it's just one of those things you get to do you get to do archery and then rifle uh and then rifle out in the prairie and um the once in a lifetime is custer state park and then custer state park archery so those are a lot of people go a lifetime without drawing that one but yeah so i i definitely will be headed back to colorado um headed to wyoming montana in future years to to keep learning, to keep uh, having a good year. And I, I am rambling, but I do want to – this is probably a good year to not be hunting because I did go get a report from my little honey hole where an outfitter just 
put his camp like literally in the middle of the trail where my elk in between where I shot my elk and my elk died last year. Oh um, man. And because of that, he had like two hunters and then there was a couple other hunters in there and the surrounding outfitter was going into the same little area. So it was just kind of a, a zoo from what I was told. I, I met a guy in there and then we just kind of text each other and say, Hey, you going in? We both respect that we're going into the same spot. We're not talking each other out of it, but just nice to give each other reports. We pulled him out of the mud once, so he's <laughs> he's uh, <laughs> uh, been really nice about it. So maybe that's the year I just would have went and gotten skunk because it wouldn't even have uh, worked out. But that's just some lame excuse for me not elk hunting. No, I think it's good. I mean, you bring a valid point. Like that would uh, that would have been frustrating to get up there and there's a. Uh... You know, there's a spike camp in the middle of the place that you'd like to go. Oh, I'd have been so upset. <laughs> and so I, now I don't know what to do because <clears throat> my favorite time to hunt is right before the muzzleloader season. And yeah. I love that big opening weekend and all the way up to that. seems like where I'm at, I get this little lull after a couple of days and then uh, it picks up right before the muzzleloader season. But maybe maybe it's a pressure thing that I wait till after muzzleloader, and but not like right after because I just got pressured a ton trying to hit that that peak rut time somewhere in there. Just I don't know. We'll have to I have to think about it. That later season is something I don't have a ton of experience of hunting. It's been always that earlier earlier season. So anyway, yeah, there's thoughts on, on, uh, elk hunting plans and, and, uh, what I got going on. So, but I got you on to just kind of chat about some things that uh, you guys at Harvesting Nature are doing. And then also thinking about November, we think about November, we think about rutting deer and eating them, of course. Yeah, So exactly. Yeah. What, uh, um. What do y'all have uh, planned for how you remove your quarters or, or how you debone your your uh, uh, debone the quarters to prepare for uh, those meals down the road? Is there any things? Because after you cut it, I mean, you can't put it back together. So, is there any? Is there a couple little things that you do specifically? either in the field or uh, once you slap that quarter on the counter to make sure you got some hunks for certain projects. Anything cool you're doing this year? So I, I definitely, um, I, I think about it this way is first off, I don't always break down everything right away too. I definitely like to age it. And I think we talked a little bit about it last time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I have actually, I have, um, from our, our wild pig camp that we did back in May, I've got a full pig quarter in the freezer still, uh, that I have yet to break down. And it's at, it's at the top of my list. Cause I'm trying to get my freezer cleaned out. Obviously you heard my schedule and if it, uh, there's going to be a quick competition for space in it if uh, if things go according to plan. Yeah. But um, I would say that, like, there, there's not always a rush to do it. You know, there's a lot of conversation out there about thawing and refreezing, and I, I'm okay with doing it. So I'll thaw, partially thaw, process, and then refreeze in individual packages once I break it down. But um, one cool thing about breaking down and sort of some tips on freezer management is uh, I, I always try to leave – cuts as whole as possible um 
you know, stakes and things I'll portion out, but I'll specifically mark them and portion out usually two to three stakes a package, just cause I know that's kind of what we make for, for a meal. Um, and then if there's anything special I want to do with a cut, like say I take the tenderloins out or, you know, I, I've got meat I want to make tacos with, or I want to braise it or, you know, anything like that, I'll label it on the, on the package, uh, as I'm breaking it down. But I definitely always try to keep roast, try to break some steaks down. Um, also with that too, uh, I also leave the silver skin on. I'm a, I'm a big fan of that following kind of the muscle lines and then trimming off the silver skin afterwards. I think that the silver skin helps protect some of the meat. Uh, as it's in the freezer and reduces that chance of it getting freezer burned. Hmm. And if it, if it does, it's kind of the silver skin that's getting freezer burned, which you're going to return. We're going to remove that anyway. Yeah. So let's save a lot of counter time. My back just starts getting knotted up. If I stand at the counter too long, cutting, oh, yeah. cutting meat. So I'm the same way I got a, I ended up doing, I, I kind of gave up on the counter for that reason. And, uh, so back in New Orleans, when I first started cooking, I had a chef. It was the same height as me. And I noticed almost immediately all the counter spaces in this in their kitchen were my size. I was like, this is great. Like, I don't have to bend over. And I was like, you know, one day I asked. He's like, that's it. He's like, you got to save your back if you're working over a countertop all. So everything was raised up to his level so he didn't have to bend over. Um, and so versus I live in a rental house here instead of raising all my kitchen cabinets I I built a uh, I built a processing table that's like half of it's wood half of it's uh, like starboard material and that's what I cut I used to process uh, all my game on huh. so, plus I, I put it on wheels so I can wheel it in my garage I can take it in my backyard I can bring it inside the kitchen like kind of wherever I, I'm working that day oh nice so um I had, and I just want to dive into some random recipes and things just to get some ideas going. Um, I had made some sandwich meat, and I did a 10-day brine on this. It was a bear ham, but it doesn't matter. It could be, it's going to be deer this next time. Uh, and 10-day brine on it and injected it. So it was brine on the inside. It was basically, it's not just curing it because I mm -hmm. had some curing salts in there and everything. So once I got done with that and I smoked it for quite some time, it was really salty. What would I have done in that process? Like how do you how do you remove or get – you can't wa – you wash the outside. You're supposed to do that from what I, my directions were. But um, I guess from the, the inside, you can't just get that out of there. Any suggestions on on how I could make a a good sandwich meat again? Because I really like that process. Not necessarily have to be that same recipe, but you ever done that before? Is that that's something you messed around with? Um, I I actually have. So I, I had a similar instance happen to me. I made uh, corn venison one time, and I used some curing salts. I didn't inject, but I let it set. Um. I let it set over over time and ended up ended up same thing is like hey it's uh it, it's too it's too salty and I was like really really frustrated because I was really selling this recipe um, but so after that I did a bit of research and I found out that there's like uh, probably one of the best ways is like you simmer it in some water um, 
and oh. a little bit of oil. Yeah. It, it sounds super weird, but that's like a good way. Um, or you can just put, let it set in some water and kind of let some of that salt flavor kind of come out. Sure. It sounds super weird, but yeah. No, that's, it, uh, I, I suppose the, uh, what's going to, because you have a, the salt on the inside, you have a concentration gradient. So the water's going to, you can have some osmosis going on where it's going to go from, yep. the, from low to high and dilute that, that salt. So I guess that makes sense. Or yep. dissolve that think, salt. I think definitely toying with, uh, you know, the curing process in general, you know, look, um, I'm a big fan when it comes to, when you start talking about sausage making and curing, instead of, uh, measuring, uh, looking at recipes that deal in weight, um, because that's going to help you more accurately um, add into the correct ratios that you need. Okay, sure. Uh, so, yeah, that what was what you ended up doing after? I mean, just brining and then smoking and slicing. Is that kind of what you went with after that? Yeah, so I, I brined mine, uh, and then I actually roasted it in the oven, uh, kind of just like you would like a pot roast, uh, not really like a braise, um, but just a bit of liquid in there. You can actually, I think, I mean, look, I think it's up on the, our Harvest in Nature websites. Uh, it's a uh, corn venison. Yeah. So I got it on here. Uh, it's under venison Reuben sandwich. Um, but it came out really, really well. Uh, made a delicious Reuben sandwich for like uh, St. Patrick's Day. Oh, there it is. I see it. I yeah, just, so I think I so love I the use, like, look of Reuben's, but I hate sauerkraut. <laughs> so. Oh man, see, so this one. <laughs> have you ever made it yourself? Mm, no. I dislike it so much that I oh man <laughs> I don't even know I can make it. My wife loves it, but uh, I would try it. I would try making it. I mean, try it's super easy. You like slice the cabbage up and you put a bunch of salt on it and you like massage the salt in there, and then it creates like this juice that's basically your brine. And then you just refrigerate it overnight, and then it's it's edible. You just gotta like. You got to eat it within a reasonable amount of time, or it'll go bad. Hmm. But that's for like a quick, quick version. But that recipe's in there. Um, But I use the Morton Tender Quick in there, which I, I tend to like. I tend to find that it it does leave things a bit salty. Um, I like the like pink curing salts is what I've switched to, and you can get that that pink curing salt on like Amazon and stuff too, uh, pretty readily. Yeah. So. Back to this injecting, I know that you didn't do that. Mm-hmm. What are some scenarios where people would inject a brine or maybe it, maybe you shouldn't? Because I did notice after I cut, it's like you can get that nice pink throughout and then I mm-hmm. can see just a couple little quarter-sized spots that I missed where that brine wasn't going to hit. And if I didn't inject it, I wouldn't hit any of that inside. Yeah, and I think that's it. And you have to think about how long it's going to take for the brine to absorb in. And there's been several times like I haven't gotten things cured all the way. And there's like a little chunk in the middle that's like still kind of that grayish color when you mm-hmm. when you done. I, I think that 
curing it or injecting the cure does speed up the brining process or the curing process. So I, I think that it's okay. Uh, I think if you're working with like a larger cut of meat, so say, you know, in this one, like I was working with a four to six pound roast, like that's not, it's not a huge chunk of meat, but if you're like, I'm going to take this whole bear quarter and I'm going to, you know, cure it, I would probably recommend injecting. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's what I figured. It's, it's huge. It's, it's there's six inches across, <laughs> eight inches across, whatever it was. Yeah. It was not a big bear, but there was a lot there that I was like, there's no way that's going to get all the way in there. But, um, yeah. So moving on from, from that, one thing I think is a deficiency in my cookbook repertoire is little chunk meat things. Uh, and that's just, Hey, you, you always pull out like there's hunks of meat in my fridge freezer that it says just hunk o meat. <laughs> hunk o I, meat. I mean, I know my I know my cuts <laughs> and everything, but it's always like that's just I know that's something off the hind quarter. It's probably sure. um, not a tri tip, but it's probably a piece of a top round or um, the little extra one pound off of that top round. Cause I cut it, cut it into a more manageable size or something like that. But there's, it's meant for, um, that I can make jerky out of that, or I could make, uh, some stews, but my family doesn't do a lot of stews. So what kind of things do you have in your, uh, go-to for just having little cubed pieces of meat or chunk meat or just whole, it's not ground. Uh, so whole, so if we're talking, are we talking like, uh, kind of like stew meat or are we talking about like roast size stew meat yeah so a little, little cubed oh perfect i like making uh like meat pies with them okay um so you think like a stew a thick stew but with like a you know as a pie filling um and a really good one i have a good recipe up on the website too called deer and beer pie uh so it uses like basically one to two pounds of cubed one inch cubed meat so it's that's perfect for those like those odd bits you may have hanging around um and you essentially just kind of make like a thick soup and then use put it in a you could use cast iron or glass and then you top it with either like um puff pastry or that pie crust and then you bake it and uh it comes out really, really phenomenal. I see that deer yeah. beer pie, yeah, super flaky looking. Yeah, crust to it, huh? It's it's pretty good. I think if you go over uh, over to our Instagram page and scroll down to the reels, there's like when I made this, there's like a reel of me like cracking the crust with a spoon. It's a uh, it's just so like crunchy and delicious. <laughs> Very cool. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What else? Like, that one I, I can see 
maybe uh all right we got some time because you get a any pie takes a little more time um Mm -hmm. what uh what else could we do something that would be an every evening we got some chunk meat uh that we need to or cubed pieces that we would want to mess around with um i think another a good one's always stir fry right you know people yeah it's it's pretty common when um I mean, you could really, you could really do a ton with various things. Um, here's another. We've got another good one on here. It's like chow mein. Do you like chow mein? Like kind of a, you think throwback to the uh, like Chinese restaurant takeout dishes. Yeah, I I love a lot of Chinese, Asian, Mongolian, all all that kind of stuff. Because I I have a Mongolian dish that is. I just love it's loaded with flavor and that that flavor is just in that meat and it's through that cooking process it's almost like you don't even have to worry about I got to make sure this is exactly medium rare because it's just little thin slices and it's just absorbing everything and yep it tastes really good so this one's uh I really like I've cooked a couple times so Adam Adam Berkelman he hosts our uh our antler and fan podcast which is like kind of a recipe podcast basically like gives you the origin of a recipe and kind of like walks you through it and all that but he did this one the crispy venison chow mein and like i said i made it a couple times it's really really good and you do just like you said you have like this marinade where you're taking those either long strips or chunks and you're putting them in oil and salt and cornstarch and kind of letting them uh letting them get a good marinade and it's something quick too because as that's marinating, you go through and you're, you know, you put your noodles in to cook. You uh, cut your garlic and your ginger and make your sauces and mix all that together and get it ready to go. And so then when you're ready to like actually fry the meat um, or saute it, then you know you can just like get everything together really quick. Yeah. So is and you're breading that that meat and frying it in that cornstarch. Like it's um, so coated? It kinda, yeah, it kind of comes together in the marinade. Got it. So uh, like you have it in the marinade. Yeah. What I and I've seen this with that other Mongolian recipe. Why the cornstarch? What does that do versus just some flour? Or is that so just- cornstarch is like a really great thickener. I think even more so than flour. Um, but it also makes things super crispy. Cornstarch will get way crispier than regular flour will. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. I knew it was yeah. meant to, like, if I need to thicken something up, okay, you can do that. But I know if you add too much on certain recipes, it kind of gives it a weird flavor. But the crispy thing, I didn't know anything about. Hmm. Okay. Well, um, what about, and I'm still working on, and I've done a lot of rib meat, um, Someone, uh, well, the, the guy that invited me to to bear hunt this this September, we started butchering my bear, and he's like, "Oh, you want to make some bear bacon, like off of the off of the ribs?" And and it could be a a local term, but he, he was and sent me a a thing of of uh, what a local guy had done uh, with that. But anything you'd like to do with the ribs or the slab of meat and slab of stuff that comes off of the outside of that. Uh, 
I deal with a lot of people that look at that and it's like, look at this. There's stuff here. What could I do with this? Um, I, I'm one great thing to do is almost like the rolled steaks. Um, but you got this kind of big flap of meat, right? And I think it was one of the meat eater episodes, one of the latest season where Jesse Griffiths was on there and they took, uh, I think it maybe was Neil guy and they, he cut that, that exact flap you're talking about that covers the rib. Um, he took that off and laid it out and then put a bunch of different, uh, seasonings and ingredients inside of it. I can't, um, remember exactly what he did, what the ingredients were, but I've done it where I've put, um, like marinated red peppers. I've done, um, I like using cheese curds cause they have like a higher melting point than, than other cheeses put those in there with like chimichurri sauce and then roll it kind of all together um, and make kind of a pinwheel. And then you sear that uh, on the grill or in a cast iron pan. And then you put it in the oven and you let it cook until it comes up to temp. And then once it's done, you just slice it kind of along the roll and you get that kind of cool pinwheel looking like an easy ones. uh, It's like, a common Italian one is like beef uh, brassiole. I'm probably butchering the pronunciation of that. But it's like the stuffed Italian beef roll is like kind of mm. what it is. But yeah. um, that's a that's a cool cool way to do to utilize that flap of meat. I found it. Yeah, it's just like Texas style venison belly. Rule it on, rule it in, rule it in, something like that. Um, but yeah, that's it looks really good in the end. But the thing I'm thinking yeah. about is you're making that and then even popping a piece in your mouth and dealing with the tallow not solidifying on the roof of your mouth. Any tips for dealing with, with those cuts that really are a little grislier and it's not like dealing with a hunk of bear meat that it's okay to have all that little bit of fat in there because it doesn't solidifying the roof of your mouth like like venison tallow does it it sticks yeah. there it's and it just doesn't want you makes you not want to try waxy yeah um i would say try to trim trim everything down as much as you can and i think in that picture too you you can see uh him with kind of the silver skin there mm-hmm. on the outside and like if you wanted to remove that remove as much of the fat as possible and that's going to get rid of that kind of tallowy aftertaste or lingering flavor Okay. So my, my ribs that I've been doing, I'm really, my family just loves ribs. They love making pork ribs and just go nuts over, over some barbecue pork ribs. So I started looking at, well, I'm going to mess with my, my, uh, elk and venison ribs and Mm -hmm. I would braise those completely submerged for, it was like, six hours or so and i haven't figured that out a hundred percent yet but sometimes you get that really tallowy taste and others you don't and i it's almost like you got to dump out some of that liquid because that stuff comes to the surface um and then i finish it on the grill with the seasoning and my barbecue sauce just a a rub in the barbecue sauce and it seems to, to work out really well uh but i i do like to have some of that 
flap of meat, this the stuff that's stuck on the outside. So you got multiple layers to it. It gives it a lot more gives it a lot more consistent stuff, something to eat yeah. versus that little slab in between each rib because it's not enough. So I don't know. Yep. I don't know if you've messed around with that at all or or tips for making ribs. I I have I don't always take the the belly cut off um or the rib that rib flap. I don't yeah. always take that off. I always I do like to leave it on there for the same exact reason you mentioned. But what I do with my ribs, I will actually take the ribs and I will just put a little bit of braising liquid in the bottom of a crock pot. Then I'll stack all the ribs. I'll season them however I want to season them. I'll stack all the ribs on top to where none of them are actually submerged in that braising liquid. And what that does is that allows like as that fat and tallow comes off, it drips down into that liquid and it doesn't stay on there. Okay. Um, and then I, I do the same thing. I finish on the grill. Okay. And I'll do this with like barbecue sauce or whatever. But yeah, I put them in the crock pot for probably like anywhere from like four to six hours, depending on how much. But I take, I take my ribs and I split them down the middle too um to make them a little more manageable to get into the crock pot and then you get like smaller little packs of ribs yeah so the that bottom rib it's sitting on that bottom rib and that one gets a little bit more tallowy or um yeah yeah i think so i mean you have to have you have to have some some of them into the meat or into the braising liquid yeah but you can do that i mean you can do it in a crock pot I just do it in the crock pot because I feel really comfortable like leaving in the crock pot. Like I'll put them in before I go to work or whatever and then come back and they're there later and I know that they're going to be okay versus like you can also do them like in a Dutch oven, in the oven or in a Dutch oven on the fire, the grill or smoker or whatever uh, to do the same process. It just like to me requires more attention. Yeah. I like that idea. I'm going to – it's been a long time coming to trying something new on that and seeing if I can't get that – that tallowy stuff gone because it drives me nuts. I'm done with it. Sometimes it's it's almost like a, a gamble. I don't know if it's gonna be that way or not, and then it just turns me off for a while. Because I'm kind of similar. I'll t- I'll sometimes take it, sometimes won't. Just kind of depends on how it is, and especially you got a big bullet hole or something. You're like, yeah, there's like two back ribs. That's <laughs> all that's yeah, there. Yeah. It's good. Uh, just because that that coagulated blood just spreads all over the whole thing. But, um, okay. Shanks, Shanks, what, what, uh, I, I did something interesting the other day and love to hear your critique on that. Um, I threw four shanks into a bag and I s- threw a bunch of a taco seasoning in there with it. I don't know if that was necessary or not. Uh, but I sous vide it for 24 hours and, probably not high enough temp i did it for 135 degrees and then the last five hours i cranked it up to 145 something like that and pulled that out and started shredding the meat off of there then it took it to the pan and added more taco seasoning because i i didn't really taste a ton of that seasoning it didn't penetrate it that well so um yeah and i threw that on some tacos it was good. It was really good. I want to try it again, but what would you do different? Um, 
No, I, I mean, I think you're like really spot on with that. Did you put any any other liquid in there? Any like uh, butter oh. or stock or anything in there with the shanks? I I just did the um, a little bit of water, just like I would okay. make taco meat, but yeah, maybe yeah. maybe a big glob of bear oil fat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think cool. that would probably be good. Yeah, that would be good too. Um, no, I think you're pretty spot on with like season it with with what you like to go in there um and i i think as far as like absorbing the flavor it's always really really interesting how much especially when you see how much it's gonna absorb the flavor because you're not getting a lot of loss uh if you look at like other methods of like sauteing or braising or grilling where you got juices and uh seasonings dripping off off the meat so Mm -hmm. um it's it's always easier to play around with that too i think with like also with like shredded bits of meat i always do the same and kind of like re-season them after sort of to taste i did um a little bit different i did another crock pot uh with a bunch of antelope shanks and used our our harvest baking blend season the outside uh, put them all into the crock pot, poured some beer in there and a little bit of, uh, pork stock and then let that go for, I think it was about eight hours as well as it works. And then came back and then shredded it all. And then I re-seasoned it, added some of the braising liquid back into it to give it a little more, uh, moisture and then use that to make, um, what I make like uh Philly cheesesteak sliders. And holy smokes, it was great. Huh. But um, yeah, no, same, same exact process. I think just substitute the sous vide for the slow cooker or crock pot, whatever you want to call it. And I, I think you're like you're, you're not you're not anywhere off by having to reseason and sort of like sure. redo add to it. Like I, I do that with salt all the time. I don't like to add a lot of salt into my initial um preparation of a dish like i always kind of taste test at the end and see how the other flavors kind of pop and come out and then decide like do i need salt or do i need lemon or lime or like black pepper or something else and maybe i can you know accentuate the flavor by adding another seasoning versus salt what about the temperature doesn't matter sous vide or crock pot or whatever for that low and slow basically um, stuff like that that needs to let the stuff gelatinize or all that tenony junk, the stuff that don't you can't work around when you're wanting to to pull that off in the processing. Um, what's the, what's the best way to do that? Like really low because I realized 135 was way too low, um, but 150 was going to be way too high to, to do that for for so long is there i think so collagen and tendons and things like that tend to begin to melt at about 160 um okay. so that's when you get you get more of like a liquid gelatin versus you know sort of like that kind of gob of stuff uh that's in there so i think if you want to do that i would i would work work towards that temperature so maybe raise it up a little bit Okay, and that probably would have allowed me to get 
a little more meat off of it because I took the fork forks to it and I was like, oh, come on, let's shred. <laughs> yeah. I had to really kind of yeah, work that, for it. That would definitely, um, that would definitely get it, get it there. Okay. So, so if you were doing something easy with the shanks I and mean, we can obviously cut it off and grind it, that's one thing I always tell people, just an easy grind. Uh, second would be just to braise it and have some shredded meat. Any other easy, quick things to do with that? Because I know uh, cutting them in um, chunks is not so easy. Take a little longer. Yeah, yeah I know to do like the osobuco cuts yeah. and things like that. Like that's, you know, you're freezing and then cutting um, that way. I mean, if you want to get some good flavors too, like using shanks to like cook like beans or anything like that is always a really good option as well. Like smoking shanks and then putting them into something like I really like to make, uh, like pinto beans or red beans or anything like that. Like put shanks in there and let them cook as the beans are cooking gives like some extra added flavor. Hmm. Okay. Uh, I guess the next thing I was going to ask about was just some meat tenderness. I've noticed, like, say on the back ham, uh, general rule of thumb, it seems like the closer to the bone, the tougher, and the further away, the more tender. It it seems to be what a lot of those cuts are. Uh, And along that bone i mean you've got your bottom round sitting right up there on top it's right next to it but then you got uh and away from it there's the the tri-tip and the top round and um also your shank is really close to the bone is there um i started talking i just forgot one what my main question was (laughs) so uh but with the that tenderness in in, in that back ham, is there is there certain certain routes you're going to go with with something that's a little more tender versus say a little tougher like a bottom round? So top round versus a bottom round. Um, I mean, I think too like cross cutting some of those uh, for for steaks and stuff too. Some of those rounds uh, does well too because then you're cross cutting against the grain, and then as you you cut it or eat it it ends up um, it ends up more usable and a little more tender um, um, sorry I totally like lost my train of thought like midway through um, yeah. no I, I get that because you got you got the exposed grains yep 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 sorry yeah there we go back on it um, and I, I think that's like that's really important is cross cutting and then um like using roast like i do i do like to use like that football roast um for exactly a roast yeah. um really really enjoy that the sirloin and, sirloin yep, and, yep. and how do you do a roast so it's not drying out cuz i i just have never done a your typical old roast like a like a pot roast like mom would make on Sunday after church and I'd be ready there. I've never made one that hasn't dried out. What are you doing with that to to keep it from getting dry? Because it's cooked all the way through. Everything else I cook is almost everything else is medium rare. Well, I mean, so you you 
you can approach it two ways. You either don't have to cook it all the way through and make more of like, um, you know, you can season it, sear it on the outside and then put it in the oven and, you know, either wrap it or leave it open, but then like kind of check the temperature uh, pretty frequently and then, you know, cook to medium rare or whatever, and then let it rest and then slice it. So you could do it that way. So that's more of like less like a pot roast, more like a, you know, just regular oven roast. Sure. I guess would say if you're going to do a pot roast, I think the thing is, is not overcooking it and really finding like that point where it starts to sort of break down. Um, and that's sort of a little time management with it. But once you get, you know, earlier we talked about sort of that 160 point where things start to kind of break apart and shred and do all that stuff. So like once you get above that, things get pretty dry pretty quickly, especially with game because there's no fat to, you know, in like a, a beef roast or anything that you would use with a lot of fat. And bear roast would be the same. Like there's more fat in bear than there is in elk or deer or antelope. And so you got to be really careful when you, when you cook it to not overcook it. And so kind of, I tell everybody thermometer, meat thermometer, meat thermometer, like get in there and check it. Like, all right, I know it may take me 30 minutes to cook this, but I'm going to be checking it at, you know, maybe every 10 minutes, maybe every 15 minutes, something like that, just to like clue in closer to how the meat act into temperature. So I don't overcook and dry it out. No, that makes sense. Okay. And Good old ground. Uh, I, we don't need to spend really any time on this because ground is, oh, we just literally made a uh, beef stroganoff and it's killing me that there was beef in it, but I don't have any say in what the meal was for tonight. I didn't plan it, so I didn't make it. But uh, any other, any good things you've had recently just with some old ground that just surprised you or you thought were it was just excellent? Hey, you know what's a, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, what's a really good one is like, I like making egg rolls and that's something that's kind of fun to get the whole family involved too, because mm. you got to wrap them and stuff like that. But, um, it, but it, on the vegetable side, like cooking the ground meat and then adding the vegetables in, you can really use like whatever vegetables you have on hand, um, to mix in there and then just like put it into an egg roll wrapper, use a little bit of water, fold it. And then, you know, fry it and you have some like, I've, I've met a few people in my life that don't like egg rolls. Yeah. I didn't as a kid. I ate one today. <laughs> no, I, I, I enjoy them. <laughs> I enjoy them as adult, but, uh, uh, it's funny that, that you mentioned that cause I just had, had one today. Uh, I would rather have had it with, with some wild game in it. That'd be interesting. I haven't mm-hmm. had, ha- haven't had such a thing. Um, what about breakfast? When, what are some of the, the breakfast meals? And you've got a little teaser in your site here somewhere. I got to find where that is again, but it just looks like some little game hash or something with some eggs next over easy eggs. Like, oh, I am it's a, on. I was, yeah. That's I'm a, on the recipe when, sorry. No, I was, uh, go ahead. I'm, I am a breakfast nut. I love all kinds of different breakfast foods. And so just different ideas on, uh, doing something with with some bre- for breakfast. So that one, the, the picture that you're referencing is the venison heart hash. Oh, um, sure. And I, I, man, I really, really enjoyed that recipe. Um, 
it it came out so i used what did i use i didn't use our seasoning on it which i i'll have to go back and retry that but i used uh traeger has a prime rib seasoning um mm-hmm. that i thought went like perfect for breakfast um and you just take one venison heart and then using diced potatoes which you kind of soak in water overnight that helps get rid of the starch and lets them crisp up uh onion for jalapeno garlic and then some of that seasoning and then some eggs and you just put it all in a pan and just brown it well you don't put the eggs in the same pan but you you do the hash in the pans and man oh man that that's i'm a breakfast guy too and that's probably like one of my favorite ones and if you like I like to think of it too is like we always try to eat the heart first try to but i definitely will freeze hearts and eat them later and breakfast is such a great way to utilize it Hmm. that's always been a just cut it up in little chunks and fry it in some butter and have that pretty quick but i like that idea of if if it is a texture issue of that heart which i get a lot from from folks is cutting it up a little bit more and adding mm-hmm. all those other pieces to it like the potato and then yeah a little egg yolk drizzled all over top from poking the egg would probably make i that. think it definitely it makes it more approachable just like you said for people that have that texture issue because it's just you're getting little bites of it mixed in with everything else so right cool uh well moving on I'd love to hear what harvesting nature has going on uh, and kind of what you guys have been working on lately. And, and just let's talk about some of that. Yeah. So I, I think probably the biggest thing is uh, we've, we've moved into the space of, of in-person uh, skills camps. Mm-hmm. So we, we had our first one back in early summer down in Texas where we did a wild pig hunting camp. And in that like three day period, we walked people through, shooting through uh put them out in the blind had them hunting pigs and then as they're bringing pigs in we did butchering instruction every we divided them into two teams each team cooked dinner and did a cooking class with uh with our chef and man it was just like it was such a cool experience because we had a very diverse group of people people that hunted all their lives people that hunted but only done archery and never shot a rifle to people that, that were like completely brand new to to hunting and just got to enjoy and get down to the nitty gritty and just talk a lot about food. And, you know, we dispelled a lot about uh, the edibility of wild pigs and how people, you know, there's a lot of folks out there that'll claim like, Oh, you can't eat wild pig. Those are disgusting. And like, we definitely, we went myself and Casey went ahead of the, the class a day or two ahead and shot pigs and we used those pigs to feed everybody for the entire class. So we ate nothing but like pork the entire weekend, which was great, but it wasn't just like we had, you know, uh, pork loin or whatever. Like we did, we made, uh, riettes with the head, which is like the shredded French breakfast meat. We did, um, we did pate with the livers, just like tons of different stuff ribs uh we did you know the loin grilled uh we learned about the denver steak which is an awesome cut of meat if you've never uh dove into it i recommend looking it up and and saving it next time uh because it's often easily missed and then um 
so we really expanded on that and then next year we're looking to do two more pig camps and then we're also we're going to do a, a wing a wing shooting camp in january likely uh we haven't decided whether we're going to do a pheasant a pheasant one in dakota somewhere or we're going to do a duck dove and snipe down in florida and then we're looking to line up maybe a fishing wind or spear fishing wind in the summer so gotcha. um, but all, all those kind of focused around the same thing uh, about just education and food and learning and bringing more people into hunting and and learning to eat better i think is 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 the fun part of it um if you if you want to do something in south dakota i'll host it i got for work anyway we've got we've got the space the education classrooms we've got processing area we got it all and it'd be free so you want to come there and and do anything you're more than welcome the only issue is it's got to be probably be grouse because on this side of the state we're mostly grouse sharp tails there are some places you can go and find some find a few pheasants but fewer and farther between kind of difficult so oh well let's let's talk a little more maybe loop casey into it for sure um i, I think it'd be interesting yeah um okay that's so there's your in-person things is that do you got people just kind of signing up to do those coming from all over or that may be a little bit more localized what who's attending that <laughs> No, there there are people from all over the country, uh, Canada too, uh, oh, wow. which is great. Like we we have we have one spot open for our December camp. We haven't announced any of the other camps for next year yet. That's coming here probably in the next couple of weeks. But it's literally we have people from California, from Canada, from Boston, from Florida, from Louisiana. Like everybody's just flying in or cool. driving in to attend these camps, and I, I think it's. Like I said, it's so awesome because everybody's got different experience levels and perspectives. It's just, it's so much fun. I got to go get to go to uh, my buddies down in Texas. And he said, come on down sometime, maybe January, February, March. I'm not sure when we're going to go, but uh, there's going to be something to shoot (laughs) is the plan. And (laughs) and pigs are in there at some point. So I will, I will do some research and kind of looking at maybe even just the, the uh eat wild game cookbook maybe um it's time to add another wild game cookbook to my my shelf because i got i have uh one main one that i like and then just everything else that you find randomly gets shoved into a binder but uh what else do you have there on on the site just plug that for uh people to to pick up from you guys or sure videos or, or where can we keep educating ourselves because I, I, um, I see that you hear a couple ideas and it's like, okay, that's great, but I got to go dive in somewhere. Yeah. So if you want to dive in, like our, our like, epicenter of everything we do is, is at harvestingnature.com. So there you can get, we do weekly articles and recipes. Uh, we've got both. Um, I mentioned earlier the antler and fin podcast, which we run re- weekly. And then the podcast I host, which is, uh, the wild fishing game podcast, which is very food focused, very technical, like technique. We talk with a lot of guests about various food aspects. Um, and then we're, we're diving more into video. Um, we do have a YouTube channel. There's some stuff on there. Uh, we just started, um, being featured in a sporting chef on, 
Sportsman's Channel and the Outdoors Channel. So we have a segment uh, on that show uh, where you can see kind of us doing stuff too, tips, tricks, techniques, recipes, things like that. And then I think one of the the, the biggest things that we've, we've released lately is our spice blends. Uh, so we currently have the we've got a big game spice blend. We've got an upland fowl spice blend. We've got a wild fish, and then soon to be released is our small game blend and a waterfowl blend. So these are all like really really well tested. Uh, a group of us, probably like five or six, divvied up the spices that we thought um, would make a good blend, and then tested them all, and came up with these really really great. We call them. Uh, chef tested hunter approved uh spice blends which which go great i mean i i've used them on a ton of things uh they've been very very popular a lot of great feedback and i mean i i've enjoyed them have you guys done any more of those like video date night kind of things or no we we moved away moved away from the virtual cooking classes um we, we still have some of them available on the website, but we're trying to do more in person and uh, gotcha. I'm trying to coordinate some classes here in, in Denver and maybe here in the near future, we'll be traveling uh, around the U S to do some cooking classes or some game dinners or something like that to kind of to start to get out there and, and interact with people more in person because definitely miss that yeah. uh, and ready, ready to get that back in full swing. Yeah, you can't you can't really interact with people on a YouTube video, but you're a no. person, and it's just the connections you can make, I'm sure, are are well worth it and a lot a lot more fun. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, very cool. Well, Justin, uh, I want to let you get back to your evening and stay on here because I want maybe ask another question or two, just or just uh, maybe see if make some plans or something. But anyway, sure. yeah, want to appreciate you. Uh, chatting with me a little bit, getting some ideas and I'd be hungry if I hadn't just eaten supper. So <laughs> there's a lot of really good things and perusing the website. It's fun to see the, the, the cool recipes on there and, and, uh, it get, gets me motivated again to, to print some off, uh, check out that cookbook and, and so on. And maybe thinking the upland fowl blend and the big game blender are probably ones because I'm not good with birds. I need to challenge myself with with some upland stuff. Um, big game is where I spend a little more time, so I'd love to try and mess around with that that upland fowl blend and and see what I see what it tastes like. So, but anyway, yeah, uh, we already got harvestingnature.com plugged, and uh, you had already mentioned Instagram as well. So I'll send everybody the links uh, down in the show notes there. And again, thanks so much for for chatting with me. Yeah, man, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.